What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That is where you find all of our newest updates, whether it's podcasts, articles, news and notes, polls, anything we got going on on the baseball side. We do share it out there through EthosFantasyBB on Twitter. If you're not somebody who uses social media, please do go to SportsEthos.com and you'll get everything there right from the source. I do really recommend you guys do use social media. You don't have to be somebody who's an active poster, but between myself and a few of the other guys we have working here at Sports Ethos, we do post out a lot of updates before the season. I'm already starting to post rankings, little bits of information I'm finding in my research. In season, of course, I'll have my quick hit notes that'll come out every day. We talk about different players who performed well or poorly from the previous day and talk about if we're holding them, if we're dropping them, if we're selling high, we're buying low, uh, all those kinds of things. We do a lot of that on social media. So I do recommend you guys do use an account over there and check out all that we have going on. Now, today we are going to do something a little bit different. If you are somebody who follows on social media, you would have seen me tweet this out yesterday. I'm going to be doing something over the next couple of months, and we're going to do maybe one or two of these a week. And I'm going to talk about my favorite draft, my ideal draft from different picks. So how I would go about arranging a team based on the number four pick, based on the number 10 pick, based on the number one pick. And we're going to do that probably from every single spot, one through 15, over the course of the next couple of months. We're going to mix in those shows. Now ADP does change once we have Yahoo open and ESPN and CBS. Then those guys are going to have different ADPs than what we've been using on the NFBC, and we might have to kind of you know redo those to some extent. But right now, we are going to be talking about this um, from an NFBC point of view, because that is the ADP that we are using right now. And I think it's the place where pretty much everybody is drafting. I know there's underdog people are drafting, but those are best balls, and those are a lot different. I also can't do them in Toronto, so I can't really make content on best balls, uh, underdog specifically. But we are going to talk today about pick nine. And how I am going about constructing my team if I am given the number nine pick in the draft, which is, I think, one of my favorite places to be in the draft this year. I think anywhere in that range, when you're talking about kind of mid to back end of the first round, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think that's a place where you're still getting a player who is giving you very similar production to what you're getting from those top couple of draft spots. I don't think there's a huge difference if you are looking at Corbin Carroll versus Fernando Tatis versus Freddie Freeman versus Aaron Judge versus Jose Ramirez. There's going to be slight differences, obviously, but I don't think it's drastic enough to the point where I desperately need one of those top couple of picks. I think I can really get by and construct, not even just get by, I think I can construct an excellent roster from one of those kind of later picks. If you're picking at nine, you're going to pick sooner in round two. And then that trend is going to be a little bit easier for you uh, to build from as opposed to picking maybe third or fourth. And then you have to wait like 20 picks until your next pick. You're picking at nine. You're somewhere closer to the middle and you're not having to wait quite as long. It's about 13 to 17 picks, depending on which pick you're talking about here. So from nine, it would go to 22, down to 39, down to 52, down to 69, down to 82. That's a 15-team league. And I do like not having to wait so, so long. If you're on the ends and you kind of have to wait like 25 to 30 picks between, then you're almost losing track to some extent of what's happening. Then you, you know, Especially if you're in a slow draft and you're so many players that have gone off the board in between your last pick that you really don't even know what's going on. If you're in the middle where number nine generally kind of is, a little bit towards the back end, of course, but generally speaking in the middle there is where I like to be 
based on roster construction and based on everything really this year. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. So today we're going to start with number nine. And I think that the perfect pick at number nine, and I think he'll be there a lot of the time too, is Freddie Freeman. We've talked about Freddie Freeman. We've talked about damn near everybody at, at this point uh, with our player reviews and previews that we have been doing. So we, we've gone into Freddie Freeman in quite a bit of depth. You guys know how I feel about him. I think he's about as safe of a player as you can possibly draft in round one. We've seen it over the last several years, and specifically in 2023. If you exclude 2020, which was the year he won the MVP, but it was also the short season, so it's hard to read too much into it. Then last season was his best year offensively by WRC+. It was best season ever by batting average. He had the most ever runs scored. He had the most ever stolen bases that he's had. It's hard to argue against taking Freddie Freeman with any pick, really, even if you're talking about the fourth or fifth pick, I think you can make an argument for him there. But if you're getting down to pick nine where he is going generally, that's what his ADP is. I don't really see a reason to not take him. You're worried a little bit about the speed. Maybe you can be a little bit worried. But he just went from 13 to 23 stolen bases. It's not like he's somebody who has been progressively trending down. You might worry that it doesn't maintain to that same extent, but we're still probably looking at, I think, somewhere around the 15 stolen base mark from Freddie Freeman. And considering how ridiculous the lineup is around him, considering the power that he brings, considering that he is somebody who is very likely going to win a batting title again, I mean, 331 batting average last year, 325 the year before, 300 in 2021. It was 341 during the short year. 295 in 2019, like he is a 301 career hitter. Batting average is a huge strength. Counting stats in that lineup are going to be plenty. I, I just think there's not really a better way you can go in your draft here at pick nine than Freddie Freeman to start off. You're getting a nice balance across all five categories and a huge surplus in, in counting stats and batting average there as well, which will allow you to take different risks throughout the draft, which I didn't take a lot of risks, I don't think, in this particular construction. But, I mean, taking Freddie Freeman early on does allow you to maybe take a guy with a lower batting average who's a big power guy, like a Kyle Schwarber type. Because, well, you're kind of getting your batting average compensated for with Freddie Freeman. So you're getting close to 50 dingers from Schwarber, then you can make that work. You know, that's, that's something that Freddie Freeman does allow you to do there at the end of the first round. Now, in round two, I went with Francisco Lindor at pick 22. And I'm trying to go with guys who are... Within a couple of picks of ADP here, I'm not trying to go very far off because I am trying to you know, talk realistically about what you can actually do from these particular draft slots. So for, uh, Francisco Lindor, I picked 22. His ADP right now is 24 uh, in the month of December. That is in all drafts. If I narrow that down to draft champions, because there are, you know, it does mix up a little bit, it's 25. Uh, if you're including gladiators and different things, it might mix up a little bit. But pick 22 is a very realistic spot to take Francisco Lindor. You're getting elite production in all four categories, and this is kind of what I was mentioning before. He's not necessarily deficient in batting average. Francisco Lindor is a guy that we have seen in the past put up 300 batting average seasons. You know, we haven't seen it in a while, um, but he's somebody who could very realistically give you like 275, 280. Batting average is, however, his worst category for fantasy, right? We saw it just as recently as this past season and for several of the last few seasons, right? He went 31 and 31. 108 runs, 98 ribbies, but he had a 254 batting average. So I think pairing him with Freddie Freeman is really solid. You do get that certainty of stolen bases. Even if you are worried about Freddie, you can still bank on at least, I think, 25 or so from Lindor. You're getting another good source of power and counting stats. And again, that batting average will kind of offset. So let's say Lindor you know, hits 260, 270. 
you're getting that 320 or so you're probably going to get from Freeman, 315, and then you're you're still looking at a really solid batting average with a very well-rounded uh, rest of your categories offensively there as well. Home runs look very good. Counting stats between those two are excellent, and you're probably looking at close to 50 stolen bases. You're in a really good spot there with your first two picks. Now, in round three in this particular construction, I went with Pablo Lopez. I think you're getting a really solid, beyond solid, I think you're getting an ace-type pitcher here Probably, honestly, at a fair price, but I could see him even being more expensive if people really start to dig in. And once people start to dig in in earnest, once the new year, you know, once the clock, uh, once the calendar, I should say, flips over to 2024, that's when people really start to dig into fantasy baseball. Pablo Lopez was third in strikeout minus walk rate. He was fifth in Sierra, fifth in XFIP. He was fourth in raw strikeout totals. And you can draft him after that first tier of ace starting pitchers. So in this particular construction, I'm going to be going with Pablo Lopez here. I'm getting a top five pitcher for me. And I, I know there's different ways you can build out a team, but I think this is a good place to start thinking about your first starting pitcher. I think the first two rounds, most of the time, 90-plus percent of your drafts should be batter-batter. But I think round three is a good place to start taking a look at a starting pitcher. And I think Pablo Lopez going in that range is a, about as well as you can do there in round three. 39 is where I'm taking him here personally by ADP. Uh, he is going, as of right now, at 37.6. So we're, again, right in that range there of where he is going in reality right now. Let's move on to round four, and I went with Randy Arozarena. And I said this on Twitter yesterday. Again, I put out a, a breakdown of the first 10 rounds, and then I said I would talk about it more in depth here on the podcast. Uh, but if you want to go check it out on Twitter in written form, again, go, go check out my personal account there. But Randy Rosarena is the guy I went to in round four, and I said it, two things dry up really quickly in these NFBC Roto leagues, these 5 by 5 leagues. It's outfielders, and it's stolen bases. Stolen bases, you can find them later on here and there, but they're not going to be from guys that get consistent playing time, or they're going to be from guys like a John Birdie type who is just going to give you maybe just steals and literally absolutely nothing else. Miles Straw, John Birdie types, where they're actually a detriment to your roster. So between the scarcity and outfield, and I haven't taken an outfielder yet with Lindor and Freeman, I take a Rosarena here, and I get a guy who has a 2020 floor. A- absolutely. I think that's something that we can be pretty pretty much guaranteed of at this point, that Randy Rosarena, even in a worst-case scenario type of year, and we saw that down the, down the stretch, it was kind of kind of bad for Rosarena. Even when it's going poorly for him, you're still going to get a 2020 season out of him. And I, and I say that if you look at his splits – uh, second half of the year, Rosarena batted 220. He had seven home runs and 12 stolen bases. But, you know, even with that struggle, he had 23 homers, 22 steals, 95 runs, 83 ribbies, and he batted 254. I think that's a pretty solid overall number to get, 254, and that's the lowest he's had in the big league so far. Uh, you know, I, I do think that with a little bit of Babbitt progression, it wasn't like it was incredibly low. It was 310. But he's generally been a guy for his career. He's a 330 Babbitt guy. I think even if it's a tick up a little bit, you're getting a 260-some-odd average. You'll absolutely take that with 2020 production, and you're probably looking at about 90 runs and 80-some-odd RBIs again. And I think in round four, to get an outfielder, to get that kind of certainty all around the board, again, maybe it is partly in the back of my head that I do have a bit of worry about Freeman, and maybe he doesn't you know, go up to 30 stolen bases this year. He's not going to do that. Even if he does regress a little bit, I think I've set myself up for a good bit of speed here with a Rosarena and Lindor as my number two and number three hitters. I, I do think that a Rosarena is somebody that could maybe struggle a little bit. Maybe he's not going to be, you know, quite to the same degree as what we might have thought that he would end up as after his first year or two. 
But Randy Rosarena is still a fantasy stud. He's still absolutely a fantasy stud, somebody that is capable of hitting in the 270s. He's probably got 30 home run potential. We know he's got 30 steal potential, and that lineup always finds a way to really compete. He also boosted his walk rate up from 7.1 to 12.2% this year. It's a huge boost. It's a, it's a monstrous boost for him. If he's able to maintain that even to some extent, more opportunities on base, more runs, more stolen bases, it's hard to not really love uh, Randy Rosarena in round four, in my opinion. Now let's talk about my number two starting pitcher I went with in round five here at number 69 overall. That's Logan Webb. Logan Webb did kind of fly under the radar a little bit last year, and he has kind of for the last three seasons overall, I think. He was second in XFIP, ninth in XERA. He was sixth in WHIP, and 15th in strikeout minus walk rate in all of Major League Baseball. He is definitely not the flashiest name because he doesn't get you a ton of strikeouts. Logan Webb is not a guy who is going to be able to usually anyway get you you know a lot of those 10, 12 strikeout games. For strikeout rate, you're talking about a 22.8% strikeout rate. It's it's very average, but he only has a 3.6% walk rate. That low of a walk rate is incredibly, it's almost impossible to come by. And that's why you look at the last three seasons, a huge part of why he's had a 1.11, 1.16, and 1.07 whip. And if you look at his ERA in each of the last three years, 325, 290, and 303 with very strong underlying numbers as well. We've kind of just been ignoring Logan Webb to some extent, and he had a season this year which was borderline Cy Young-worthy, and you could argue that each of the last three years were Cy Young-worthy. He is going again. He's he's provided ace-level value in each of the last several seasons, and yet he is not being drafted in that ace-level tier. And it is because of the strikeouts. I think that is what it generally comes down to. People are suckers for strikeouts. I am myself. But I think with Pablo Lopez as a huge base, again, he was fourth in total strikeouts in 2023. I can afford to go with a guy in Logan Webb who's not going to be a monster strikeout guy who is still going to be able to do incredible things for me in terms of ratios and potentially in wins as well. I know that's kind of a touchy thing. It's random here and there what wins are going to happen. But he's been a double-digit win guy each of the last three years. Hard to bank on you know anything in particular from any pitcher in terms of wins. But that's a pretty solid base, also considering the volume of the last two years, 192 and 216. He's been a workhorse, and I think we're going to see that continue uh, into 2024. So I really like him as an SP2 in this build. Next up, it's an SP3 for me, and it's Zach Eflin. And I know you guys, if you've listened to me talk about Zach Eflin, you're probably thinking, Jesus Christ, he's not going to shut up about Eflin. I'm not going to shut up about Eflin until the year starts. You guys are going to have to bear with that. He's going here. I think a little bit too late. And I think he's probably somebody that the injury concerns have become overblown. People aren't putting him inside of their top 20 starting pitchers because they think, well, there's a potential that he misses time. Last season was an outlier. It was a genuine skills change that we saw last year in Zach Eflin. And I think that if the only concern you have with a guy is the injury and the actual skills are there and he was just healthy for a whole season, then I think you're probably overblowing the injury concerns if you're not having Eflin inside of your top 20 at least. I have him as my number nine starting pitcher right now for next season. It could move around a little bit, but I I said it again on Twitter yesterday. He is going to be ranked higher by me than anybody else in fantasy baseball. Apparently, Justin Mason, I haven't seen Justin's rankings. Uh, Justin's got him pretty high up, but I I doubt that he'll have him as high as I will. I I love him to death. Second in whip last year, he was third in Sierra, third in XFIP, fourth in strikeout minus walk rate, plays for a great team, doesn't have to face the American League East as much as he would have a couple of years ago. I just think that he is about as strong of a candidate for an SP3 as you can get in this particular build. I have three excellent pitchers that I think are all going below market value. My first six rounds, I don't usually go three pitchers, but I think for this build, considering who is there at the given pick, 
in that vicinity of a couple picks one way or the other. I don't think I could have done better than a pitching staff of Lopez, Webb, and Eflin and the first three batters of Freeman, Lindor, and a Rosarena. I think that's about as a perfect build as I could possibly come up with from that pick slot. But let's move on and let's talk about pick seven for me, which is at number 99 overall, and that's Pete Fairbanks. He's the elite closer that's getting drafted after all of the other elite closers, right? And I understand that Pete Fairbanks has missed time. There has been injuries the last couple of seasons, really. We're talking about 24 innings and 45 innings. When he is out there and when he is healthy, he is providing you about the best uh, reliever numbers in all of baseball. So he had a 1.13 ERA in 2022. I know it was only 24 innings pitched. This year, it was 45 innings pitched, which resulted in two wins, 25 saves, and a 2.58 ERA. He is one of the few pitchers, and I didn't go through everybody to check this out, but he has a ERA, a Sierra, a FIP, XFIP, XERA, all of it, every number is below three in each of the last two seasons. And I know that we're talking small sample sizes, but when he is out there and when he's healthy, he has been amazing. In this build, I could see foregoing one of the starting pitchers to maybe get somebody who's a little more certain uh, health-wise at the closer position. I could see that argument. But at the end of the day, health is not guaranteed from anybody, especially relief pitchers. They tend to throw harder than most everybody else. They're going to be, you know, we just saw it with Felix Batista, and there's countless examples of relief pitchers getting hurt. I don't want to hold it against Pete Fairbanks. Again, he's somebody who is currently healthy right now. He's going into the year healthy. He's going into the year as the, I think, fairly undisputed closer. I know there's talk of Jason Adam, and the Rays always do some random, you know, things that kind of piss us off from a fantasy point of view. Sometimes they won't always go the way that we think they're going to go. Uh, in terms of who's going to get a save opportunity. But Fairbanks is clearly the guy who deserves that spot. He's pushing 40% K rates. He's a guy, he's built like a closer. He has an absolute closer stuff. And he has been incredible when he's been out there, especially this past season. 25 saves in only 49 games and 45 innings is incredible. And that also speaks to the quality of the team around him. So you're getting him well after all these other elite closers. And I think that he's going to provide that same kind of value in terms of strikeouts, in terms of ERA, in terms of whip, and I think in terms of saves, you probably be getting close to 30 from him. I really, really like him. If he's healthy, he's a top five RP, and I'm taking him here uh, with my as my first closer here, just inside of the top 100 picks at pick 99. Generally speaking, that is where he is going, and it does kind of vary a little bit by your particular draft. 102.5 is his ADP over the last month. 86 is the minimum. 124 is the maximum. But I think at pick 99, generally speaking, you are going to be able to find Pete Fairbanks there. Now let's move on. And again, we are talking about NFBC-style roster constructions here. I will do these for different types of rosters as well. We'll talk about you know your standard one-catcher league for Yahoo, and we'll, and we'll do a few different ones. Right now we're doing NFBC, and that means two catchers. That means that catchers generally have to be kind of pushed up a little bit because they're going to be more scarce. They're going to be going quicker. Think about it if you play fantasy football, and I'm sure a lot of you do, as a super flex quarterback league versus a league where you just have one quarterback. If you need two quarterbacks in your league, those quarterbacks get drafted a lot earlier because they're going to be off the board a lot sooner. And you kind of need to fill up your spot, your roster with two of them as opposed to one. And when there's only one, you can kind of wait a little bit. Same thing with catchers. It's the exact same thing with catchers. In one catcher leagues, they go a lot farther down. You don't have to push them up as much in these two catcher formats. However, they do need to go, they do need to be going uh, a little bit higher than you would normally see. But that being said, I think we're getting a good price here on Yaner Diaz for the Astros at pick 112. 
Now, we've been told that he's going to be the everyday catcher for them. I forget if it was the general manager or president of baseball operations. Somebody in the front office said, Gainer Diaz is our catcher. He is going to be catching. Now, if anybody has seen Moneyball, we all know that just because the general manager wants somebody to start does not mean the manager is going to necessarily start him. That being said, I think that Yainer Diaz is going to at least be given the opportunity to start the year as the starting catcher. He hit 23 homers last year to go along with 111 runs in RBIs combined with a 282 average in just 104 games. You're talking about a full season 35-plus homer pace. A full season in that lineup in Houston there could very, very easily net him a number one overall catcher season. It's, it's absolutely possible. And in fact, if he is the everyday catcher in that lineup, it's likely. The only reason why he is going below some other catchers, I think, is because there is some kind of uncertainty about will he be the guy? Will he be the everyday guy? Or will it kind of be like the bullshit we saw this past season where he's not really the everyday guy? And he, he plays most of the time. But we saw Dusty Baker do some weird shit. I'm going to be on the side of Dusty Baker's gone. We're probably going to see some more regular patterns and more normal thinking from the guy who's replacing him, which I'm his name has escaped me right now. But I believe that we're going to see the Astros probably use Diaz in an everyday role, and that would make this draft price very, very reasonable. You're not getting stolen bases, but you're getting power and potentially a good batting average as well with obviously great counting stats in that lineup. I think I've set myself up for a good stolen base total, and I think Diaz here makes a lot of sense, uh, even though he's going to be giving me a zero. That's pretty much the name of the game with catchers, unless you're getting a real Mudo, you know, MJ Melendez, depending on your format, if he's eligible, Gabriel Moreno, most of the guys are getting a zero. Maybe I got a one or a two from Diaz, but either way, very, very, very happy with him here as my, what is he, my seventh pick? He's my eighth pick off the board here. But let's talk about number nine, and that is Josh Naylor. Josh Naylor, if he didn't miss a quarter of the season last year, he was probably looking at MVP votes. Uh, he had 149 runs in RBIs, a 308 batting average, 17 homers, and 10 stolen bases. And that's honestly just ridiculous considering how bad Cleveland was last year offensively. They were absolutely terrible. I think that he is going to be able to be, you know, not maybe not an MVP type player, but damn near close to it. If he's a guy who's going to be able to give you 25 homers, 15 steals, bat 300, and be able to drive in a ridiculous amount of runs in that lineup. I mean, he's always struggled with runs scored a little bit, but that's not something you can hold against him. Josh Naylor truly has that kind of MVP type upside. If he was playing for, I don't know, you know, if he was in Atlanta or something like that. Like, let's say it was Josh Naylor there instead of Matt Olson. I think that Josh Naylor would be like 80 to 90% of what Matt Olson is. I, I really think he is that good. Even though I already have a first baseman here, and Naylor is only going to be first base eligible next year, he does not carry that outfield designation anymore. I'm still putting him on a corner here pretty happily, and, and I'm taking what I'm getting here. 125 is his ADP. Taking him at 129 here, and I'm very, very happy about that kind of production. Again, he's kind of a balanced guy who's giving you all five categories. Not going to be a massive speedster, but should be double digits. Going to be 20-plus dingers, and he's shown us that he can bat 300. The only thing I worry about a little bit is the runs, but I think he'll offset that with his massive RBI totals. You see that in the 120-ish games last year, 149 runs and ribbies. So it's not a huge concern for me, considering the talent level of Naylor there. Now let's talk about round 10, Tyro Estrada. Tyro Estrada is the guy that I am rounding out the first half of this with. And again, I went uh, 20 picks deep. I didn't say that off the top. It was mentioned on Twitter. Wait, another reason to go follow or go check us out over there. But I put out the first 20 picks. Generally, these drafts go to 30 rounds in the NFBC. But I think there's a lot you can do in those last 10 rounds. It really depends on if you want to take prospect guys for upside, take a more older, you know, innings eater type of, you know, Kyle Gibson or whoever, 
versus a young prospect type. It really d does vary at that point. So I went 20 picks deep the last 10. Leave up to you guys. <clears throat> of course, always open to questions and whatnot. But we're going to round it off here with number 10, and that is Tyro Estrada. Now, a thing that was mentioned at First Pitch Arizona, and I believe it was Jason Collette who said this, pointed it out, was that Bob Melvin is the new manager in San Francisco, and he has shown that he will run a lot more than uh, than Kapler did. Kapler was not a guy who was really going to be uh, pushing it really too much when it came to sending guys on the base paths. Now that they have Bob Melvin in town, it is expected by a lot of people, people that I have talked to, that you're going to see some stolen base numbers that really shoot up for San Francisco Giants players. Tyro Estrada is a guy that I'm thinking is a dark horse shot to steal 40 bases. And maybe it doesn't get the 40, but I think 30-plus is in the cards for him. In 120 games last year, he stole 23. 140 games the year prior was 21. So he was taking advantage of those rules on a per-game basis. Roughly the same number of steals, but in 20 fewer games. You give him a manager who will give him the green light more often, I think Estrada could get you to 30. Now, he's been a very well-rounded fantasy player as well these last several seasons. Second base and shortstop eligible is nice, but he's a guy who's given you <clears throat> a 260 to 270 type of batting average, 15 or so homers. Always been a pretty good counting stack guy. I say always. It's really just the last two years when he's been a full-time player. But you're looking at 71 runs in 63, 62 RBIs in 49. And again, that was in an abbreviated season this year. 49 ribbies from a middle infielder in three quarters of a year is not really that bad, especially considering that he was going to go 2020, very likely going to have a 2020 season if he was healthy. To go along with good batting average, and I think that potential for stolen bases to really shoot up, I, I think that he is a guy that is going to be kind of slept on a little bit this year, and he will be on a lot of my teams because I think the price is very, very, very reasonable for Tyro Estrada. <clears throat> Let's go through the second half of this now. We'll go a little bit quicker in the second half. But I'm going Craig Kimbrell at pick 159. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was pointed out to me that he is kind of going earlier than that sometimes. And Craig Kimbrell's price, I think people are just honestly generally confused about where they should be taking him. And so just in the last 10 drafts, 99 is the minimum pick, 223 is the maximum. We're talking about draft champions, the same format here. That's not mixing in gladiators and whatever else. That's just the same format, the last 10 drafts. He's been a top 100 pick in some, and he's gone outside of the top 200 in others. So he is very, very hard to nail down. His ADP is about 138, generally speaking. But again, he, he is kind of a random um Kind of a random guy this year in terms of where he is being drafted, at least as of late. Now, when I do ADP over the last month, he's going, you know, generally about 140. So maybe I'm pushing it a little bit here, um, but I do think that this is kind of where he is going to end up. I don't know if people are really 100% sold on him necessarily. If you go back um, another week or so in the filters, then he's like 185. So his price is honestly just all over the place. I think 159, I think we're calling it pretty even at this point. If you want to say he's generally going 140 or he's going 135, I don't think it's a massive difference right now. Um, but either way, I'm going with Craig Kimbrell here as my second closer off the board. I do think that he is going to be the everyday closer in Baltimore. Craig Kimbrell doesn't go places to be the setup man or a middle reliever. That's who he's been his whole career. He is going to be getting you saves in Baltimore. They're a good team. He doesn't have to worry so much about righties hitting homers off of him there in Baltimore with that crazy wall that they have. 
I think that Craig Kimberl is going to be a guy that gives you close to 30 saves this year. He will be given the opportunity. It will not be Cano. Cano's price has gone way down recently. He's going after pick 300. Early shares of Cano are looking like piss at this point. And, I mean, it's hard to blame people who are taking him. But Kimbrell's going to be the guy. Kimbrell is going to be the dude who is getting the save opportunities in Baltimore. I think I'm getting a guy who is, again, going to be close to 30 saves here well after the other grouping of closers are going. So uh, I'm, I'm taking him every day here, assuming his price doesn't shoot up inside of the top 100 regularly. As long as he's – because at that point, you might as well take a guy like a Seawald or, you know, uh, even higher up, like maybe a Durant. Or you might as well go for, like, an ace if the price is going to be at that point for Kimbrell. Part of the appeal for me, a big part of it, is that he's going so late. So – Give me round, uh, round 11, Craig Kimbrell there, assuming that's where the price generally remains. Round 12, Carlos Rodon. And I got some pushback when I ranked Carlos Rodon as a top 20 pitcher the other day. Some of you probably just said, what, when you're listening to this in your car or wherever. Carlos Rodon is not being given the benefit of the doubt after having a, a miserable season. Granted, it was awful. He was hurt coming into the year. He had countless setbacks. He was never really, truly able to get it going. He was, from 2021 and 2022, and 2022, one of, if not the best pitcher in baseball over a bigger than 300 inning sample size. He was about as good as you could possibly be for those two seasons. He has a terrible injury-plagued year, and everybody suddenly forgets about him and writes him off, and you're an idiot for ranking him above Kodai Senga, and all the people got so pissed. I haven't, I've pissed people off on Twitter countless times, honestly, over the last couple of years, but it's been a little while since people got this riled up, and it was about Rodon. You know, I haven't taken a starting pitcher in a while here, but I do have a base of Lopez, Webb, and Eflin. I have the relievers of Fairbanks and Kimbrell. I have a pretty solid base of pitchers overall at this point. Rodon, maybe he pans out, and I think it's more likely he does than he doesn't. But even if he doesn't, we're entering into a range here where it's not going to kill you to drop him. If he, if it is, you know, if people are correct, some people in saying, like, he's just not that good anymore. He pulled a Manoa, and now he stinks then, I mean, I can drop him if that's the case. I have a really solid grouping of pitchers, and I don't expect that to be the case. That's a worst-case scenario. What I'm expecting is that Carlos Rodon is maybe not 100% of what we saw in 21 and 22, but he gets back to like 80% of that and comes very close to hitting these projections that we're seeing from Steamer, which is a 378 ERA, which is a 21% strikeout minus walk rate, which is a 1.16 whip, and at that point... I'm getting like a fourth ace at that point of the draft, and I'm not paying for it. I'm not paying at all for it, really. Uh, you're talking round 12 for a guy who last year was going as high as round two. I'll take that discount every single day. This is the kind of guy that we have mentioned throughout the offseason. The guys that people kind of forget about that are still going to be productive, and they are a bit of a risk potentially, but that risk is baked in, man. You're, you're not paying that hefty price for Carlos Rodon. So I am taking him here. I think that he is an ideal pick in a lot of different drafts. I think you're going to see him as a common name that I talk about <clears throat> Excuse me, throughout the remainder of the offseason because I just think the upside is so great considering his current draft price. Let's move on, though. Round 13, Brandon Nimmo. I need another outfielder. I don't want to wait too long with outfielders, and I've only got one to this point, so I'm taking Brandon Nimmo, another guy that I feel is severely underpriced this season. I don't really understand it either. Now, the thing with him was always health, right? Nimmo's not going to be healthy. He's not going to be healthy. Last two seasons were 151 and 152 games played, and they were incredible seasons. Pretty much identical, except for the fact that he boosted his home run total from 16 up to 24. I mean, he's leading off for the Mets, and you want to say the Mets are whatever. They're not that good. But he's still got Lindor and Pete Alonso hitting behind him, whoever else they decide to bring in this offseason. 
And you're going to see that run total remain pretty high. 102 and 89 each of the last two seasons with the 20 home run pop. We're getting a few steals. And he's a guy, each of the last couple of seasons, you're looking at a 274 batting average. He's a 270 career mark. And at this point of the draft, to get an outfielder who's not hurting you anywhere, giving you good batting average, leading off for a team that could potentially be very good again, I just think he's very underpriced and an excellent choice for usually at this point I'd want him to be my third or fourth outfielder, but I can very much get behind him being my number two outfielder here. Brandon Nimmo in round 13 feels like stealing at this point. Jose Alvarado, we talked about him earlier in the week. He was one of my ADP Christmas presents if you guys missed that show. I just don't understand it. He is clearly the best reliever in that bullpen. They used uh, Craig Kimbrell last year pretty exclusively as the closer. They are, you know, Thompson has shown that he will go to a single guy. Now, maybe they will go to more of a, you know, leverage reliever type of thing. Use Alvarado in the eighth inning if that's when the toughest grouping of, of batters is coming up. But I still think that you're getting way too late here, even if he doesn't end up being the 100% full-time closer. And by the way, projections expect him to be the closer. He's projected for 23 saves, a 3.02 ERA, 20% strikeout minus walk rate, 1.2 whip. He's expected to be the closer from Steamer. And Steamer is not going to be perfect with this. But roster resource from Fangraphs also has him projected as the closer. I think he's going to be the closer. Not that I'm some grand authority, but from what I've seen, from what I'm looked at from that bullpen, he is the best relief pitcher there. It's not particularly close. He will be the guy that is given the majority of the opportunities to close bowl games, and I think you're getting him after pick 200 here is absolutely, again, like stealing. He's the third closer, so if it doesn't pan out fully for me, I'll cross my fingers and hope to get the guy who actually is the actual closer in fab, or maybe in those last 10 rounds I can take a Jeff Hoffman. Or if I'm feeling brazen, I can take Sir Anthony Dominguez. Or I can take Orion Kirkering. And somebody who may have the potential to hop into that role. But I do feel, and again, that, that is a viable strategy as well. You take Alvarado in round 16, 15, 14. And then in round 28 or 29, take a potential handcuff. You can do that, see how it works out for the first couple weeks. First couple weeks of the season, you're not usually using your bench players anyway. So you can kind of just wait and see. But I do think... I'll be, you know, I'll admit it if I'm wrong, which I did this year. I, you know, I talked with the players I missed on, the players I hit on. This will be one where I'm kind of planting my flag that Alvarado is the closer in Philly. He will get 20 plus saves. He will maintain that 20% strikeout minus walk rate, and he'll continue to show us why he is the best reliever in that pen. So, give me him. Uh, give me him. Give me him. Give me him. Uh, give me Alvarado as my third relief pitcher here. I think it's a steal. And if he does pan out the way I think he is, then I'm looking at potentially three closers who I'm barely paying any draft capital for, combining for about 90 saves. I might be, you know, expecting best-case scenarios there, but that is what is looking like uh, I potentially could have here with these three guys. Three of my massive targets at the relief pitcher position. Let's move on to Edouard Julien, another Canadian for the squad. I promise this is not biased. This is the fact that Edouard Julien... I think can be an incredible fantasy asset as soon as this year. And I think if you're in on-base percentage leagues, you're not getting him anywhere near this price. That is where he is a huge target because his walk rate is absurd. 15.7% in his first run at the big leagues. 109 games for Julian. He walked 64 times. That is really impressive stuff. He also batted 263 and hit 16 homers in 109 games. Stole a couple of bags. I think that he's honestly going to be somebody that is kind of undervalued at a position in second base where people do kind of worry about it, it drying up. It's drying up. You have to go early. People will kind of take second baseman fairly early, and a guy like Julian probably won't be taken so early when you're getting a leadoff hitter for a, a decent enough team. You know, they are a playoff team last year. Division stinks, so the competition isn't going to be so, you know, incredibly terrible for them. 
Uh, he's batting leadoff for second most of the time. The 57 times last season, he was the leadoff hitter out of 109 games played. 25 times he batted second. So you're getting a top-of-the-order guy with some pop who has shown he can steal. We haven't seen it so much at the big league level. 109 games, he only stole three bases. But 47 games in high A and 21, he had 21 stolen bases. You move him up to, or excuse me, that was low A. That was low A. You move him up to high A, another 65 games, he steals 13 bases. So you're talking about 34 stolen bases from him in about 110 games there. 2022, he stole 19 bases. And then this past season between AAA and the majors, only six. So there is definitely potential for stolen bases to shoot up a little bit for Julian. Not to say that it's going to be a monster number from him, but double-digit steals, definitely a possibility to go along with potential for 15 to 20 homers. He hit 16 of them in 109 games, and I know that he kind of overperformed based on his power metrics. But Edward Julian, I think, is somebody that you can still say he's probably going to hit you 15 bombs. That's what the projections are thinking. They're calling for 16 homers, 74 runs, 51 ribbies, and a 240 batting average. I think we're kind of underselling the batting average. He has been in the minor leagues, a guy that, despite the high strikeout rate, 299, 300, 293. He's a guy that can hit pretty high batting averages, 263 at the big league level last year. I think aided by his high BABIP, which is, again, just a characteristic of Julian, I think you're still going to see a very strong batting average from him. So he's somebody that I, I think you need to kind of really consider at this point as a second base target for you. Let's talk about Jared Kalanick. Yes, Jared Kalanick is my number three outfielder. That is not a perfect build, right? This is, again, you can not you can only do so much. There are going to be things that are lacking from certain builds. This one, it's probably outfielders. But even with Kalanick as my number three guy, I feel pretty damn good about it in all honesty. I mean, he's going to be in Atlanta. I think that he has a good chance to be starting the season as a regular in that lineup. Now, I'm going to quickly double-check what Roster Resource has because they do kind of move around and change what their thinking is. It's not always, um, you know, if you look one day and the next day, they might have just tinkered with something or flipped somebody. I was doing a podcast one time, and it had literally, like, changed something in the middle of the podcast. But as of right now, Jared Kelnick is slotted in as the number eight hitter in the Atlanta lineup. And you're probably thinking, well... That's not too great, right? Just think back last year to what Orlando Arcia did. As the number nine hitter, as somebody that wasn't really that talked about, not the greatest player overall. And then think about the potential in Jared Kalanick, just in and of himself. And then you factor in that he's in that lineup, a competent, very competent organization. Not to say that Seattle's not, but you're getting a boost in terms of the organization here. You're getting a boost in terms of the lineup. And you have a chance for a fresh start after what had been a very frustrating first couple years in the bigs. Many stints every year getting sent down to the minors. This year he didn't, but he got hurt a few times, injured himself, kicking something in the dugout or the locker room or or some bullshit. He kicked a cooler or something. He needed a fresh start, and I think Atlanta's about as good of a place to get it. You got 20-plus homer potential. You have 20-plus stolen base potential, and we know that the batting average is maybe a little bit iffy considering the high strikeout rate, but he has shown in the minors that he can be a 300 guy. I don't know that he'll be a 300 guy in the bigs. He likely won't. But I think you can be a 250, 260 guy. If you give me 15 and 15 with good counting stats in that lineup, I think I'll take that as my third outfielder. It's not perfect, but I think considering where we are, it's not terrible at all either. I followed that up with Gavin Lux. Gavin Lux, I think, is going to be in a similar kind of situation. He'll be at the bottom of a really good lineup. And you think that what that will turn over when, let's say, Gavin Lux gets on base. And, I mean, getting on base for Gavin Lux has been not too hard for him in his big league career. He's got a 10% walk rate over the course of more than 1,000 plate appearances. A 330 on base is not incredible, but I think that walk rate, considering, you know, the growth that he's had, 
he missed all of last season, so we don't really know 100% what we're getting out of Gavin Lux. But I think that even as a bottom-of-the-order, projected bottom-of-the-order guy, double-digit homers and steals with the potential for a stupid amount of runs in RBI. He's going to get on base. It's going to get flipped over to Shohei, Freeman, and Mookie. He's coming in more times than he's not there. And I think getting that kind of assurance across all categories, right? Because batting average for him is projected at 267. We saw him hit 276 last year. He was in the bigs in 2022. I think there's a lot to really, really like with Gavin Lux. He's not going to be expensive. He's got dual eligibility at second and in the outfield. Depending on your format, of course, that might change uh, depending on where you're drafting. But I think a lot of the time, you are going to get second base and outfield for him. NFBC has some of the highest standards for that, and he's second base and outfield there. So I wouldn't be um, I wouldn't be doubting that you're going to get that pretty much everywhere. I'm putting him in as my fourth outfielder. I don't think it's perfect, but I do think that he is going to have a really nice season here, and he will be kind of flying under the radar in terms of his price. I wanted to get my second catcher dealt with here, and I went with Ryan Jeffers. Ryan Jeffers, I think, is somebody that he's he's a top 20 catcher for me for sure. And I think that even though he maybe isn't going to be as good as what we saw on a per game basis last year, there's still a potential for a really solid, solid catcher season. I think he'll be pretty regularly playing over there. You're probably looking at well over a hundred games. And for catchers, you know, that's about as much as you can hope for. Uh, I think there's a potential 20 home run bat in there. We saw that he can steal a few bases and he hit 276. He might not be a justifiable 276 hitter, but I think, you know, probably a slightly better batting average than you're getting from the general catcher pool. In this range, I think that he is probably the guy that I'm going with right now. Again, prices will change. My opinion as I dig deeper into research may change, but right now I think Ryan Jeffers is maybe slightly uh, over, or excuse me, underpriced at pick 262, considering what we saw from him last season. I don't think that he is going to be, you know, potentially a number one catcher, top five catcher, but I think that he'll be a solid enough catcher that he remains on your roster for the entire season in a 15-team league. Even if you're talking a 12-team, two-catcher league, he's definitely inside the range there where I'm very comfortable having him on my team for the whole year. Now, we have to see what happens, of course. Maybe things will change. But as of right now, I think that he is somebody that is going to be fairly safe at that point of the draft, right? Uh, you're not at that point you're not looking for miracles you're looking more for stability than anything else and he should be the everyday starting catcher maybe Christian Vasquez will take away some at bats from him but I can't imagine that it's as many as it maybe people are thinking based on the game's played projections here I think that Jeffers is going to be an undervalued target this season now I do want to look at this team as a whole and I and I did look at this team as a whole and I thought at this point that I might be lacking a bit of power And there's somebody out there, and I was also coincidentally lacking a third baseman. And I went with Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman, who's currently a free agent, I have no idea where the hell he is going to be playing. But Matt Chapman, for his career, outside of last year, always a 25 to 35 home run guy. 24, 36, 27, and 27. Now he drops down to 17. He had a terrible year, but I think it's hard to believe that he doesn't bounce back to some extent. We're talking about a guy who's only 30 years old. He'll be 31 at the beginning of next year. He's still in the middle of his prime there. I don't think that we're really worrying about this, you know, the power's gone from Chapman. He's still going to be a 25 homer guy wherever he's playing. Runs and RBIs, probably looking at about 150 put together with not a great batting average, admittedly. But at this point, I am more looking for power, and I did need a third baseman. I think Chapman, you know, he's going to go up once he signs, but right now is a great time to be drafting him because the price close to pick 300 is probably not realistically where he should be going. As much as he pissed me off as a Toronto fan last year, he is a lot better than you know pushing 300 ADP at this point. So I think if you can get Chapman there, you fill a spot in third base late in the draft like that, I think you're doing very well. 
I rounded out the top 20 picks here with Will Benson. Will Benson, I love me some Will Benson last year. He was on, I think, three of my teams by the end of it. And I mean, it was hard not to just fall in love with what he was giving you with a lot of uh, with a lot of the players in Cincinnati, really. But Benson was just so, so solid. And it really did fly under the radar. If you were playing in a 10-team league or something, you probably didn't really realize this. But Benson, over the course of 108 games, gave you 11 homers, 19 steals, and a 275 batting average. He was striking out too much. But overall, like it's really hard to complain about that kind of production from a guy that you probably did not have to draft. Like, let's be realistic here. Uh, Will Benson was not on your radar coming into last year as somebody that was, you know, you needed to be on my team. He played 28 games in 2022 with Cleveland, did not hit a homer, did not steal a base, batted 182. Average fantasy players didn't really probably care about him. But he's projected to have an everyday job or at the very least a strong side platoon there in Cincinnati. I think it's more likely than not that they do give him a majority of the playing time there in right field. Maybe they platoon him with like Stuart Fairchild a little bit, but I think it's going to be Benson's job uh, to lose. He's only 25 years old. We've already seen that potential, and maybe, again, the batting average might not be fully legit. Maybe we're going to see him regress there. But you're still looking at a guy who can give you like a 2020 season from a very low draft price, 292 on the ADP. I mean, at that point, an everyday regular in a good ballpark of a good ascending young lineup, it's hard to disagree with it. So that's the team I've put together for the first 20 picks. That is how I would do it from pick nine. I think that there's maybe a slight power deficiency, but overall, not really, honestly. Like, as long as Chapman's able to come back and do what we expect him to do, as long as Nimmo is healthy, there's always going to be caveats. There's always going to be what-ifs on teams. But I think that I've constructed a very balanced team here with four very strong starters, and maybe you could argue that I should have had another starting pitcher at this point. Maybe it's my philosophy of I think I can stream starting pitchers. But I got four guys who could all potentially be aces and three guys in the bullpen who could all finish as top 10 relief pitchers. So I feel very, very confident going into the final 10 picks of this draft. There's still a utility spot open and two pitcher spots that you know, if you do go by this model, you can construct yourself a very good team. Not that I expect people to do this exact model or if this exact model will even be possible because draft rooms are very random. You might have a guy jump three rounds on a player and your plan goes to shit. Regardless, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I'm going to be doing it a little bit more. Like I said, the other 14 draft slots will be coming over the next couple months. Let me know over on Twitter if you enjoyed this kind of thing, if you want to see more of it, at JoeOrico99, also at EthosFantasyBB. And, of course, go check out sportsethos.com. But that'll do it, guys. We'll come back tomorrow to wrap up the week. But until then, take care, have a great night, and cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.